Hello, hello, hello. This is another episode of the Mental Threads Podcast. I think this is episode 139. I am here with my aunt, Ms. Camille Wanquay. How are we today? I'm good. How are you? I cannot complain. I kind of fell asleep some hours earlier, so it's just I'm trying to get myself together. I had a whole laundry list of things to do today, but I, th- I think I can still knock it out um, and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Uh, what's your evening been like today, though? Like everything cool? What you get? What, what you do? It's been busy. <laughs> I was at the dance studio from like nine this morning to just now. Um, so it's just been a busy day. Saturdays are always busy because it's full of teaching. It's like an all day affair. Oh, okay, that's cool. And you pretty much mostly uh, teaching like African dance. Well, what, 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 what? You're like a ballet dancer. What, what's your main main thing? Well, me, I primarily focuses focus on. Um, dances of the African diaspora, so like Dunham Technique, African dance, Caribbean styles of dance, um, uh, th- th- styles that come out of Cuba that are rooted in African, African spiritual or African, not spiritual, but African, uh, dance forms. Um, but I do teach variety of, of styles. So with the children, I teach them modern and ballet jazz a little bit of hip-hop and also like west african dance as well oh cool that's amazing what got you interested in african dance uh, uh prior was it just like a earlier interest or just were you just influenced by somebody else like what or, or like in what, what's your main focus with uh, african dance um well when i was a little girl my sister went to a dance school called the Rock bay and I wanted to dance because she was dancing. My mom put me in the dance classes there. Um, and at that particular school, the what I know now that I didn't know then, it was uh, rooted in dances of West Africa, Ivory Coast. Um, and a lot of the dance forms were coming out of, of Africa. And I, I learned my first um, first dance at like five or six years old and I've been hooked ever since. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Is there like any uh, specific region that just kind of caught out to you? I know you mentioned Ivory Coast. Is Ivory Coast just the main uh, region that just kind of like really spoke to you? Like, oh, wow, this is this is really, really intriguing. No, the I have not one particular region uh, because, you know, Africa is a, a, a continent. I always try to tell that when I teach people. They always go, you teach African dance. And I'm like, no, I teach specifically West African dance because Africa is a continent. It's full of different countries, tribes, ethnic groups um, that have their own particular uh, dance forms for their region. So for me, I'm primarily rooted in dances that come out of um, West Africa. So Senegal, Mali, Guinea. Those particular areas, those dance forms are the ones that I really gravitate towards most. Mm-hmm. Okay, wonderful. That's, that's great. Um, and I understand that you grew up in New York, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yep. Grew up in the Bronx. Oh, really? The Bronx? Oh, okay. That's cool. I don't know why. <laughs> I just, like, when people just tell me about what boroughs they're from, it's just like, I don't know. I just It's hard to really guess and everything. I have plenty of friends uh, from New York. Some people say they grow up in the Bronx. Some people say they stay in uh, 
upstate. Some people say they stay in uh, Brooklyn and Harlem and whatnot. Um, uh, describe uh, what that experience was like uh, growing up in the Bronx. Growing up in the Bronx was amazing. Um, New York, everybody always talks about if you make it there, you can make it anywhere. I believe that to be very true. Uh, the energy and the essence of New York is a grind mentality. You got to be in it to win it. Um, you've got so many cultures mixed into one area that you, it, and it truly is, for lack of a better word, melting pot. I don't like to use melting pot. I like to use a salad or a gumbo, things that we are adding to the dish. So you add your cucumbers, you add your tomatoes, you add your onions, your herbs, your, your spices, and it makes up this flavorful salad of <laughs> different people. So you'll like one block, it'll be uh, Jamaican music. But if you walk two blocks down, it is bachata and salsa coming out of, you know, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic. Or you might walk down another avenue and you'll run into um, people who are Muslim or people who who are Buddhist. So it's so wide in range in ranges of you know, where people are in their lives, who, what they connect to, you get such a variety. It was just like that throughout my childhood. Yeah. Yeah, man, I bet. Like, you know, I grew up on Eastern uh, Charlotte, which is like, in a sense, kind of like a, a salad or melting pot, as he said. Uh, actually, salad is what you said. And, mm -hmm. um, well, it's just, sometimes it could probably see it as like a good thing and a bad thing. You know, I think it's pretty cool because it's like you see all types of cultures, but, you know, we're in the South, so we're kind of spaced out in a sense. So it's like, you know, when we actually get a little bit closer to you, sometimes it can be a little bit uh, rowdy and whatnot from time to time. Other one then that is actually pretty cool, you know, from like the Hispanic culture um, and just the African cultures and just all types of different groups kind of just sandwiched in a certain area. And everything, it's just like it's just, it's hard to kind of miss out on like other people, and I feel like that's in itself is a blessing about living in America. Um, and then it's just like I feel like New York kind of holds that up to a uh, to a high degree because there was a point where like literally all different cultures from all over the world were pulling up to Ellis Island, um, literally like uh, decades ago, and like um, then there's still immigrants still pouring in through New York to create a life for themselves, and just all over the United States and everything mm -hmm. um so like growing up in new york and seeing and being sandwiched in with all this uh, diversity um what do you think is the uh another uh important part of diversity that you feel like a lot of people don't uh, realize from your uh perspective mm. an important part of diversity that people don't realize is that we are not monolithic whenever we look at a particular um ethnic group or culture we always assume it is just this particular way um, until you've actually indulged or taken part in that person's culture or, you know, ethnic background. I mean, or just even step into the world that they live in. You will never know how diverse it is. We it's, it's kind of like assuming everyone from a particular faith does certain things a certain way and that everyone should do it. You're just ascri subscribing um, to that, that thought process. 
without actually having the opportunity to sit down with someone from that um, religious background or spiritual base and really getting an understanding of it. So, um, yeah, I feel like that that's really it's just knowing that people do not operate in one way will allow for you to see the diverse ways of which people engage in the world or just which people are in which people are living, period. Oh, yeah, no, surely. I mean, it's crazy. I was just like, you, know, you explained at a young age that you had like um, an interest in regards to African dance and like now you're uh, married basically to an African like family <laughs> in a sense. Like, were you really aiming to like uh, really end up in a family like, you know, full of people with that culture or did it just, it just happen? That is the funniest question. You know, I never actually looked. I never, that was not my intention. I think sometimes when you just genuinely are, genuinely who you are, sometimes that just happens. I don't, <laughs> it wasn't something I was seeking out. I just wanted to be with someone who was loving and caring. And it just happens to be that I married into a librarian family. Um, and does that, and, and hey, it's a bonus for me. I love y'all. <laughs> but no, yeah, I never, I've never really like looked into that now. I actually, never, I never even connected those dots. I never sought that out. I was just, enjoying and embracing the culture within so that I can be able to truly understand it for myself. And I guess that just allowed for me to gravitate towards people who were just living in that way. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy how like, you know, the world works and, and stuff of that nature. Huh? Um, so <laughs> like, beyond, like African uh, dance uh, growing up and everything, what are some other interests that you had, um, because uh, I know it's like, you know, like you're a vegan right now. So I'm thinking like, what, what, what stage in your life kind of led you into being a vegan? But before we go into the vegan question, just wanted to like, mm -hmm. what was generally like, what, what your interests, uh, what were your interests uh, were like uh, growing up uh, in New York? Oh, my gosh. I loved comic books. Mm -hmm. I was a comic book head. I had a subscription to Marvel Comics, X-Men. Um, so I would get a... Uh, uh, an edition every single like a comic book every single maybe month I would get a, a comic book in the mail which I would love to just read I enjoyed writing I wrote a story when I was in the fifth grade I wrote a <laughs> a horror story <laughs> based off of the Goosebumps books I wrote my own version <laughs> cool. it, yeah I used to love like imagining for me I guess it goes hand in hand with being an artist and being a creative. I loved imagining myself in other worlds and places. It's always hard for people to like, for me growing up in the Bronx, being a black, a black girl growing up in the Bronx, I liked things that were stereotypically not ascribed um, to black people <laughs> growing up in New York. I liked to skateboard. I loved skateboarding. I loved comics. Um, I I liked writing. Um, outside of outside of going to dance, these are the things I liked doing, and it was always kind of an opposite from the people who you know growing up in in these communities that are considered like rough and gritty and like I'm over here imagining worlds outside of myself. I loved sci-fi. I truly, my favorite show at the time when I was growing up was um, X-Files. Loved X-Files. I love things that are like out of this world. So when I was a child, 
watching movies and shows that were like out of this world. My favorite TV show was Quantum Leap. Just the mm-hmm. thought process of like being able to travel into different parts of time and rewrite history or just even observe history, I thought was so cool. So I loved doing things that took me outside of where I where I was living, where I was, you know. Okay, well that's wonderful. Um, especially in this day and age, I feel like uh, a lot of that uh geek culture is more acceptable than the black community. Um, and everything, you know. Growing up, when I was like in uh, uh elementary school, because uh, I went to like a Catholic elementary school, so it's just like you know you're not really exposed to many pe- uh, different groups. Um, mm-hmm. and then it's just like you know to realize that you know like a lot of people tend to watch anime. Uh, from the black community, right. it's just like you could like literally be, you could be like a hood dude, you could be like a like a sporty dude, and everything. That's one thing like a lot of black folks seem to gravitate to is anime. <laughs> growing up, because we grew up uh, during the time where Cartoon Network had the tsunami block, so it's like that was mm-hmm. uh, we were first exposed to that, and now it's just like now it's sewn into culture now, uh, to the yeah. point where it's like uh, now we got the Boondocks and shows like Afro Samurai, voiced by Samuel Jackson. And everything, and now it's just like you know, it's just there's gonna be a lot more things in the future. I know for a fact because a lot of us actually grew up in that time. So it's just like just imagine how things are gonna change like in a decade from now. We're all like mm-hmm. into a position where we can be able to pour into those uh, things. Yeah, it's the yeah. possibility of imagining. If you can't see yourself, if you can't, I was telling this to a friend because as we teach children um about representation and the importance of seeing yourself reflected in all things if you can't see yourself in the future you can't create it so it's always important to be able to imagine like the things that we're having now and the things that we're seeing and how it's very acceptable and there is a space for people who consider themselves to be black nerds there is a space like my brother grew up being like, like I told you, like we're black people growing up in the Bronx. You can only imagine in the nineties, what that looks like. Like you shouldn't be excited about Dragon Ball Z. My brother watched Dragon Ball Z. Like it was nothing <laughs> like, Love playing, you know, like that show was, is, is amazing. It is an amazing show, but there were people like us who liked these things, but sometimes the things that we liked had to be, kind of almost for protection of your life keep your hood your street cred you can't be talking about i like dragon ball z and i'm watching sonic or i'm i'm playing sonic or you know i'm thinking about all these anime movies and i'm i'm doing punk rock or skateboarding like those things are not quite acceptable like for me very much being an artist not even knowing that I was an artist, but being a creative and artist at that time of, of life was very interesting. Cause you had to really like, yes, I had to be rough and tumble because I grew up in the Bronx and I couldn't let anybody play me. <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta, do, you gotta speak up for yourself. You gotta defend yourself. But then it's also those moments of like, well, I like this. I don't want to do that stuff. I like this. This is what I like. So in order for us to have what we have now, all of these people then were imagining it so that this space could be created and it could just be like so free to be yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's an amazing thing. You know, even with the Dragon Ball Z thing, like there's so many allegorical elements that actually like speak out to like the black culture. Like mm-hmm. when I, didn't know, I didn't even realize until I got older 
and everything. Like, okay, you got this guy who was pretty much ripped from his culture and everything, a culture, a power that he didn't even realize until he was much older and mm -hmm. so on. Yet again, it was his people was discriminated because of fear that there would be a two power and might overthrow this uh, alien, uh, you know, was, that comes to Snow White and everything, <laughs> weird, um, and everything, and literally exterminated most of his race just out of fear and everything that would discriminate him as people calling him monkeys and everything, you know, how, it's weird how, like, how does that speak to us on a spiritual level without even realizing, because even as a kid, like, it's just, I was so, like, amazed by stuff like that, you know, it's like, okay, there's basically, like, elements of Superman and everything, but it was different for some reason, it was just something that just kind of spoke to you personally and everything, so I feel like it just kind of represents the inner power that a lot of us hold, no matter how far away we are from our culture, or how mm -hmm. we are the diaspora, or you're just an African kid born in America, is that mm -hmm. we really come from greatness and everything, but it's just like, you know, in order to realize that greatness, you got to tap into that internally, so it's just, that's just what I get from Dragon Ball, that's why it's like, shows like that are so important and everything, you know, guys are like Naruto and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, kids, because it's just it tells it shows us different narratives and everything you know things about discrimination things about just overcoming obstacles uh things in regards to just you know adversity as a whole which is like which a lot of us have to face like in this country as a whole so mm -hmm. it's just like it just kind of gives you a notion of how to see things or what mindsets to adopt you know and uh, how to like, pretty much breeze through it you know and it's just like you know in, in regards like you know you, you even mentioned about seeing ourselves like in, uh, in media and everything so just imagine how excited when i saw like black panther for the first time and everything know that they're actually right. like, really make a movie out of it and then actually it actually became like a very uh high well-selling uh movie and, and the blockbuster and everything and it's like i feel like i was one of the few people that actually knew about black panther way young i feel like i was first introduced him when i was in elementary school although i didn't follow the comments like that i knew about the character so it's just like just I was like, oh yeah there's an african king out there and he's a superhero and a scientist and like a symbol to his people you know what i'm saying it's just like, mm -hmm. so much it was just crazy and then now you're seeing it in the big screen you know god bless uh, the heart of a uh, Chadwick Boseman, you know, rest in peace to him. But it's like, you know, that's very, very important. And it's so sad he passed away because I feel like he would have been one of the main pillars of the MCU moving forward for like the next uh, couple of decades for sure. I know that for a fact. Oh, yeah. I feel like that was the representation we needed yeah. coming right before we even got to like this point in COVID and stuff. Like, I, I, even looking at Black Panther now the second one and looking at the impact that Chadwick had that the I've sat in the movies and I watched people cry before we even got to the action people had to mourn they had to grieve they had to process the loss of Chadwick even in in the fact that they they so greatly I don't know if you saw the movie. You saw the movie, right? Yeah, yeah, I, saw I know what you're <laughs> okay. talking about. I've been like, every, if you haven't seen it by now, I'm like, golly, what you waiting on? But it's just the moment of like, um, in this very beginning of the movie, having the opportunity to allow not just the characters to grieve, but the people who saw him as a reflection of themselves to grieve. That is a big impact to have people across the world internationally grieving this one person because of what that person has done and meant to them. Not even like meeting them, but just what they have done 
what he, he what he represented. So that just just shows you what the impact of that of, of his you know presence in the the Black Panther was. So it, it it just yeah, I was mourning it too. Like I really was like, how can we even move forward? But watching the movie and letting them having their time to grieve, but also giving us this space to have almost like a funeral in a way. So we all can collectively grieve. We all can collectively process and try to move forward. Yeah, I, I just thought that was great. But that just speaks to the testament of what you were saying. Like that representation was necessary. It was important. Yes, very, very necessary and stuff, you know, just uh, black representation uh, as a whole and uh, stuff of that nature. I feel like, you know, Chadwick really, like, really personified that character. He became that character. So now it's, like, hard to see other people play the Black Panther, too. And it was only, like, one Mm -hmm. movie. Like, only a handful of appearances he made from, like, Endgame, Civil War, and so on. Now it's, like, it's his character now. Like, you know, saying, well, like, a Hugh Jackman with Wolverine. Uh, they got several Spider-Man now, like, you know. It's yeah, just... it's, <laughs> that is like, you can't even get attached to one character. Um, It literally is just like multiple characters. Like my son, you know, your, your cousin, he loves Miles, Miles Morales. That's his favorite Spider-Man, regardless of anything. He doesn't care who comes and goes. His favorite Spider-Man is Miles Morales. <laughs> and that's from watching Into the Spider-Verse, for sure, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but then really- you have you have this version, but then you have um, the current version that's out right now. I think the one that they have the the person who plays Spider Man, I can't remember his name, but yeah, he is like I think maybe the longest running because he's done a couple of more movies than the other Spider Man. Appearances, basically. He's done it, yeah. Because he's been in all the crossovers at this point. Yeah, man, that's the beauty about Disney, man. Like, really, like, they, they've been putting out, like, this whole... We literally live in, like, the best time when it comes to superhero movies. Oh, yeah. Like, now it's time to put, like, much more to the market where I feel like some people are just starting to get a little scene that's kind of stale, just to be honest. I mean, I'm going to still go to one uh, regardless. But it's like, I feel like now it's like, where do we go from here, like, after Endgame, you know? And it's just like, they're trying mm-hmm. to make something happen with the whole multiverse thing with King the Conqueror. And uh, stuff of that nature, and it's just like you know, it's it's hard to catch on now because I feel like I feel a lot of us, like especially, are just kind of like I feel like Chadwick Boseman was gonna be like one of that center, you know, like okay, they had Doctor Strange and they had the other people and like Spider Man, but I feel like he was gonna be like the main one because I feel like you know now it's like you know Tony Stark was like okay, like he's like he he has a whole lot to do with like the world problems and everything in government. And so now it's like, you know, Chabot could have been like that, you know, fixture for that, you know? So it's just like, you know, that's just, it's kind of how I see it in, in, in a sense. Um, but, mm-hmm. but, um, it seems like we only got about like, uh, about. Oh no, we got time. Yeah, sure. <laughs> we, got no, we got time, but I feel like we got to like kind of hop back on. Cause like, you know, the remaining time is going to like cut off and I don't want to like cut off like in the middle, like when you're talking, you know what I mean? Got you, got you, got you. Yeah. Understood. So we can probably just hop off and then hop back on a little bit. Is that all right? Oh, that's fine. All right, cool. All right, I'll just see you in a little bit. All right, and for part two. Okay. All right, let's one. All right.
back again for part two. Um, in the last half, we were pretty much speaking about like uh, representation and like comic book uh, characters and stuff of that nature. But uh, let's start uh, thinking about representation in like real time. I know it's just like a uh, reason why I bring this up. It's like because uh, when I think about like representation, I looked at like sitcoms and everything like uh, Martin and uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Um, but it's like I feel like, you know, in regards to culture, I feel like on the educational side, we had a different world. And uh, the cool thing about bringing that up uh, for this was like both of us are uh, HBCU grads, me and my auntie here, um, and everything. Mm -hmm. so pretty much describing like your own words. It's like uh, what influenced you to like uh, go to an HBCU, and why do you wanted to pick uh, Winston Salem uh, as a whole? Well, I am a child of an HBCU graduate. My father went to Winston Salem State. Um, he was the first in his family to graduate from college. Mm -hmm. Then he put my mother's cousin, my mother's cousin on who became a graduate of Winston-Salem State. And then I went there. <laughs> so I, I went to Winston-Salem State, one, because my dad went there. Um, two, because I, I was trying to figure out life. Like many people at 18 years old, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to dance. I knew I wanted to be somewhere in the arts, but I wasn't really sure exactly where I wanted to go. My dad suggested applying to Winston-Salem State and then looking into the programs that they had, like they had a, they, Winston-Salem State has a great education program, um, nursing as well. I'm not interested in being a nurse. I wasn't interested at the time, but education was something that I was very interested in, in doing is something I do now. I teach dance for a living so it was something that I just thought would be a natural fit. And my dad is a proud HBCU grad. So like when I think about it, it was almost like watching the Cosby shows and how much they would talk about Hillman. Mm -hmm. That's how much my dad would talk about WSSU. Like Winston was it. So I just knew Winston would be it for me. It just felt that it would be the natural progression. Yeah, no, I can feel that heavily and everything. And I feel like I might end up being that parent also. Like, let me <laughs> tell you about the times, the NCCU. Like, I can definitely see that for sure. Because yeah. it's just like, HBC has always been like, it's been like such a positive uh, reflection in my life and everything. You know, after high school and everything, I was with a, a crowd of people that just weren't right for me. And uh, for, I pretty much, pretty much staggered uh, education wise. And I didn't know where to go either. Um, and then it's like, you know, I started separating myself from them, trying to find myself uh, as an individual and everything. And um, my friend said that he was going to North Carolina Central University. And he went there for a year, I mean, for a, a year, but then didn't follow through with it. Um, but actually, it was really when uh, my brother was hopping around looking for colleges after high school. And I was just like, you know, for some reason, when we settled in North Carolina Central, I just something about it just made me want to stay there. Like, it's just something was calling out to me. It's like, you know, this is where you need to be and so on. So it's like, I say, like, okay, I'm going to just go to North Carolina Central, you know? Like, it's just like, one, it's just something tells me I need to be there too. My friend's there. So it's like, I guess I can just be able to hang out with people and it wouldn't be uh, hard to, uh, you know, get through socially. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. So it's just like, um, but sadly he got kicked out. Uh, gladly my other friend went there um, and everything. So from time to time we see each other, but it's just like, you know, we're in different programs. Um, 
And it's just, it's just amazing. Like, just the culture that you really get from, like, an HBCU as a whole. I know, like, you, if you've seen, kept up with, like, a viral HBCU uh, homecomings, like, my uh, HBCU homecoming has gone viral, I think, twice in the couple of years since I've been there and everything. And it's just, like, I can't wait. I, I can't believe I missed the last homecoming. I'm definitely going to pull out the next one. Um, but it's like, uh, yeah, it's just, it's such a, it's such a revitalizing experience. I had mentors that look like me, educated black men, uh, that stand beside me that was able to like, you know, not in a sense influence, but like kind of push me, um, right. like really right. set the foundation for where to head to next and, and everything. So it's just, I chose the business route, you know, uh, I've even interviewed, um, the Dean of the business school, Dr. Anthony Nelson. I was even on his advisory board for a little bit and everything so it's just like hey, well, since i went to an hbcu i was always uplifted you know i was always like you know invested in you or, know or yeah. compared mm -hmm. to like, you know places in cms system and like you know charter schools i was always like you know lagging and i just didn't feel like i get a, as much as attention or priority as compared to uh, my uh, more uh, caucasian uh, uh counterparts uh, not trying to throw shade i'm just saying that was no, that's the reality you're not throwing any shade it's the reality um i always say this i know people be like, you know, your HBCU experience is one of a kind. Mm -hmm. It is an experience that sometimes I try to put into words, but it's so it's so much to even, you know, wrap my mind around what I experienced. I I know that my my HBCU saved my life. <laughs> I know that it healed me in ways that I didn't even know I needed to be healed. Mm -hmm. um and it opened my mind up to the possibilities of being more than I had wanted to settle on being I came to Winston quitting dance <laughs> mm -hmm. I tell this story to my students as a way to motivate but I had auditioned for all of these top name dance schools Winston was on my list, but it didn't have dance. So I was interested in going to Winston, but I wanted to go to a school that had dance as well. And there aren't that many HBCUs that have dance. There are some, but not a lot. Um, and I didn't get into my choices. That's my truth. I didn't get in. And my dad said, it's not over. <laughs> my dad was like, you can, can be a dance educator. You can just go to Winston and learn how to be an educator. You know how to dance. Just learn how to be an educator now. And when I got to Winston, I had already like decided I'm not going to dance ever again. Mm -hmm. um, and you know how we have auxiliary groups. We have our campus groups and things like that. Yeah, little clubs a, and everything. Yeah, yeah. We had our organizations, our clubs. We had a dance organization on campus um, called ART. And it was around for many years. Um, and prior to me getting there, they had had already had this showcase in one of the modeling modeling uh shows so they had presented a piece during the modeling show and i was watching it and i was amazed and i was like you know i can do that i told what i just said it in passing to one of my friends i actually know how to do all that stuff they did on stage and she was like what you know i'm i'm freshman year i don't really know too many people they're like oh you can do that are you sure yeah right if you can do it audition and let's see if you make it and I auditioned for the group and I made it and actually wound up being um, the president of the organization for many years. And it actually really restarted my love for dance and dance specifically, like I told you earlier, rooted in African diasporic dance forms that are rooted in African 
dance dance movements, dance phrasing, dance traditions and cultures um, that are centered around African diaspora, the diaspora. So that really like pushed me to open my eyes into maybe I was doing dance, but I wasn't doing it in the way that really honored my spirit. And I learned that a lot from being at my HBCU, being surrounded by people who looked like me so that I wasn't really in a space where I was alone. A lot of these schools I had auditioned for were predominantly PWI schools Mm -hmm. and I wasn't going to be supported the way I needed to be supported. So being at Winston-Salem State, yes, I the same way you said, like I had people and when I was in college, I know I'm making myself sound old, but 9-11 happened. Mm. in my sophomore year Mm. I tell you I say this with the most when I say that my HBCU saved my life it literally literally did when 9-11 happened I was in my dorm freaking out trying to figure out who I can contact my dad used to work at the Twin Towers Oh wow! Oh crazy, man! I know. Yeah, that. Oh, right. So I'm right. thinking, like, you know, a lot of everybody have a connection with the World Trade Center. It's like, you know, yeah. you think about the debris. No, I literally. Are they gonna drive like airplanes all over no. the city? You know what I'm saying? But then you, know? like, you literally, you had knew someone who actually worked in the towers. So I was like, oh wow. My dad worked in the towers, and when I was younger, we used to have bring your daughter to work day. Um, and I went with my dad many different times to the Twin Towers to his office. So like. For me, watching something from my childhood really like just burn down to the ground, be crashed into knowing people who I knew worked in the restaurant at the top of the towers, you know, that did me in the the phone lines were busy. I couldn't call my parents Um, at the time. uh, A lot of my friends were walking over the Brooklyn Bridge. They were just trying to get home because train lines were suspended. It was chaos. And I'm in North Carolina <laughs> trying to figure out who I can contact to find if every find out if everybody is okay. It was it was the worst day ever. Um, but I, you know, fast forward, I like literally failed that semester, that fall semester, because yeah. of the stress and all of the um, you know, I didn't know it was trauma. I didn't know it was depression. I didn't know what it was. I just knew I wanted to be home and I was in school. And that was the most scariest feeling because no one knows they're going to go away to college and then a plane would fall out of the sky into a building. The, yeah. uh, in your home, <laughs> your homeland, your, where you are from. It, it was really surreal to be distanced in that way. So, you know, I, I failed that semester. I failed horribly. And it wasn't, it was, I had some classes that I I could, you know, scrape together. But if it wasn't for the people at Winston-Salem State, the guidance, the the school counselors, um, you know, my my campus pal uh, mentors, many mentors, many different mentors, um, the dance group, uh, they supported me in a way that I, I didn't know was imaginable I had support from the university they just told me hey you need this time we don't want to kick you out (laughs) you know ordinarily if you were at a PWI you know what's going to happen there's no like oh I'm so sorry that a plane hit your hit the twin towers that didn't really affect you 
you'll be fine. <laughs> they, you yeah. would have been kicked out. Very cool. But at, very cool. You know, immediately. But at at my HBC at Winston Salem State, I was rallied behind. I told them exactly what happened and what exactly I was going through. They gave me the support I needed. They got me back on track. They helped. They walked me through that process, which eventually helped me get back on track and be able to graduate. Like I was a sophomore, but that like that could have been the determining factor of my future. If I would have flunked out, who knows if I would have gone back, you know? So like being able to be supported in that way, like, okay, we see what the world has gone through. We see what you have experienced. How can we support you so we cannot have you feel like you need to drop out of school? What can we do so that you don't have to drop out of school? And it was the services. It was the, you know, extra support from certain teachers. I still got to make up classes, you know, during summer school. But it was just the way that I was supported that I don't think I would have been supported at any other like PWI institution. They would have just saw me as a, a face in the crowd. Yeah, or just another then, number or just whatever. Just another number at many of these big institutions like that. But then on top of, you know, on top of that, they wouldn't have really taken the time out to get to know who I am and why I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing. Um, and that's the difference between going to a PWI and really going to an HBCU. The love, the support, um, and the care. It's like people were invested in my growth. And that I've, I never, outside of my parents, I've never actually felt that way about people who really didn't know me. Like, you don't know me well enough. I've only been here for two years, <laughs> but people were invested in my growth. So that, that really warms my heart. And that's why I love HBCUs more than anything. I, I have I had an opportunity to go to PWI for grad school, but it still doesn't compare. Still doesn't compare. Yeah, no, seriously, man. Like, I'm so my mom wanted me to go to UNC Chapel Hill so bad <laughs> because like I was doing so good at the community college I transferred to because the first community college I was just doing horrible at. Uh, I did pretty well, but then it got worse over time. But then it's just like, you know, so it's like, you know, I, I showed it shops. Like, okay, like I could actually do a lot better. I just thought university was going to be hard because school was just such a tough thing for me. You know, I don't know. I just like I just couldn't keep up my assignments. So it's just I just didn't know. I just didn't do well. But then, like, it's just, I came to this HBCU, I was on top of my work, I would usually send out, like, um, I would send out, like, a piece of paper for everybody to write their name and number down so I could set up the group chat so we could all stay connected, which really helped us really, really uh, throughout mm -hmm. the semester and everything. So it's just, like, you know, you realize things about yourself. When I went to HBCU, like, you know, I, I was brought up through these systems thinking that maybe I was the problem, that, you know, maybe I was the mm -hmm. one capable you know, me, as eloquent, as eloquently as I speak, as much as, like, I do and everything, it, it always made it seem like, you know, I was just incapable and everything and, you know, you know, incapable of learning, so on and so forth, you know, it's just like, they make you seem like you're, like, an imbecile or something like that, whereas, like, here, it's like people would usually refer to me like a genius or something and call me things like that, and I'll be so, it's just crazy when people even try to compliment you and everything, you don't even take it because you're so stuck with just being 
and like there's one like, oh, you say, oh, you're just like you're less than, or you're an imbecile. But then here, like, like they see you as like a bright light. They see you like it's just you know top of the line, you know, like even like you know like one of your colleagues, like I don't know if you know him person, but like Sean Andrews was in the Men's Achievement Center. So it's just like you know, like he would even we would get into talks all the time. And uh, he would also, um, he, he was, like, one of the first people that actually considered, like, maybe I should go to grad school, which is, like, really on my bucket list now. Uh, not mm-hmm. because of him, but because, like, you know, you only got one life. Why can't I go to grad school? Why can't I get my master's and maybe somewhere down the line my doctor is? Um, one of my other mentors in um, the Men's Achievement Center, the one that actually, like, uh, actually started the thing, uh, Dr. Roderick Heath, he got his doctorate like like just recently, like a couple, like I think like my last year I went there. He I was actually sitting in attendance on Zoom while he was actually getting his doctorate, you know, giving up his dissertation. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, like he came from like a real rough upbringing and everything. Came to college at 23 freshman year, walked out, came back, got his degree in education, and then now he's really getting his doctorate. And it really just shows that we really go our own path and everything. You know, we also go through also jumps and hurdles. But it's like that's the part of HBCU and everything. Like they'll help you along your way to get where you need to get. And I feel like you know I needed to be at the Men's Achievement Center. I I needed to be like you know go to the business school and everything. You know, like God wanted me to be there. You know, and I just feel like you know that place is just like you know if heaven. You know, it's like not saying if because like it's just like my personal heaven would be at like an HBCU. Like that's how positive my experience is at an HBCU. You know, it's just everybody just focus on something. Everyone just having fun. It's time to have fun. You know, I wasn't used to that growing up, you know? So it's just, like, predominantly black institution. I was always brought up as, like, oh, no, like, these are predominantly black schools and everything, they don't got a whole lot of funding. So it's, like, all people do is just do a bunch of messed up stuff. Whereas, like, here, it's, like, everybody's just so stuck on trying to uh, get what they need to get. So it's just, like, you know, when you tell your story about, like, you know, people, like, when 9-11, how that affected you, made you depressed, made you not focused, you flunked that uh, semester, you know? I was having issues in school too, even though like I was, I never flunked a semester and I, I never failed a class gladly. Uh, yeah, I, I dropped out at the last minute before, you know, like if I knew I was going to have a hard time, uh, gladly I have that, uh, that sense of, uh, self-awareness when it came to that. Like, but it's just, um, you know, it's just, I have the, this, uh, personal condition. I don't really tell a whole lot of people about and everything that, uh, it's pretty much survived when I was 18 years old. And, uh, I've had to deal with it like for years and like, I still have to find a cure for, uh, I'm 24, uh, now mm-hmm. doing all sorts of things and everything. I can't really go into detail about it. Um, but I would be so, so depressed because it's because of this, you know, like, even though I was at the campus and I did go to class, and I did do my work and I did socialize here and there. I was mostly a recluse on campus, you know? And I speak about that issue because, like, you know, it's just I didn't go to a party so much as I wanted to or, you know, do go to the events as much as I wanted to. You know, but, I, you know, I did go to the Men's Achievement Center from time to time. And mm-hmm. it, it, came to, it came to such a point where, like, my senior year and everything, you know, I was just thinking about all the things I missed out on and everything of that nature for the past couple of years. And I, w- I just became so, so, so depressed and everything. And I just, I just couldn't even get out of bed sometimes. Like, it's like, why am I still dealing with this, like, right now? Like, I should have been find, like, an answer for this, you know, forever ago. Why can't I find an answer and everything, you know? And it's just, like, I would call my mentors, you know. The people in the Men's Achievement Center, they came to my dorm room just to check on me. Like, you know, if I wouldn't even go to the show for a couple days or whatever, because I had, like, assignments to do or something, they would actually usually check in on me, you know, you know, stuff of that nature. And it's just, it's just crazy. Mm -hmm. 
just like just to kind of support like you know i never got in my life i got it all at an hbc and it's like how hard would it take to just like just look out for somebody how much would how much of your uh, time would it take for it just to like you know really check in on somebody really uplift somebody and uh, uh stuff of that nature and it's like i told my mentors dr roger keith and um it's a song, it's the Sean Andrews, what I was dealing with and everything. And it's just like, they make it seem like, you know, like, you know, I'm more than that. I'm more than like, you know, anything I've been through through my past or like what condition I have and everything. You know, I'm a black man. I am more than that. And that is the importance of an HBCU because like, I feel like as black men in this country, we're all, we're emasculated all the time. We're brought down all the time, you know, broken into all the time. And it's just like to know like you have a place where really not only will they uplift you, but they will invigorate you. Like they'll push you mm-hmm. to become something greater than yourself than you ever thought it was. I never thought I was ever going to graduate and like, you know, walk like cum laude, like and everything. I would never even like dream of things like that. But it's like I needed to <laughs> actually like, you know, to know that it actually came into fruition really changed my mindset on a whole lot of things that anything I'm going through, I can really like overcome and anything I want, I can achieve. Anything that I visualize can be realized. And that's all through determination and uh, the discipline uh, to make these things happen. And that's what HBCU has taught to me. Yes, you are preaching, sir. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're probably uh, smiling ear to ear, like yes, yes, I feel that. Yeah, I know. I'm over here, like yes, and that is why you should go to HBCU. I like literally teach so many young girls and boys, um, and some of them don't want to be dancers, and that's fine too. Um, I don't expect them all to be, but I expect them to try to be good humans mm-hmm. and be in spaces that will continue to cultivate them from mind body and spirit you know for their growth um and i'm always preaching hbcus it don't even gotta be my hbcu but it should be an hbcu i am always aware that we have an experience that is like none other doesn't matter if you went to howard or clark atlanta morehouse you know, FAMU, you know, the big ones, Hampton, the real HU, <laughs> or, <laughs> lies, I'm, I'm, I'm joking on them because they always want to joke with Howard. <laughs> but mm. I say all that to say, like, we have an experience that is one of a kind. You know, you going to Central, we going, um, the both of us, your uncle and I going to Winston-Salem State, um, we have an, it's, it's an experience that only we can understand, but still, it's still individual. It is still very individual based off of the school, but it is very collective based off of the fact that we have a shared understanding and value and love for HBCUs. So, yeah. Yeah, no, seriously. I feel sorry for anybody who doesn't go to HBCU for sure, because like, really like that's kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Like that's four good years, positive years, four years of healing, four years of experiences that you would not experience nowhere else. It's like you're living in a mini town. Like there's 8,000 students that go to North Carolina Central University, which is like, you know, what they claim is not as big because there's other, uh, you know, um, universities that have a lot larger group. But at the same time, it's like, it's just, you know, everybody, there's always somebody new to me. There's always something um, that you can do. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just a big wide margin. It's just like, you know, I, it's just, 
there's just always something to get into, whether you want to get into dancing. I met so many people that I've interviewed at uh, NCCU who are rappers also um, in that area, which I really can't wait to touch down with them once I uh, get back to Durham again. And it's just like, it's just stuff of that nature. And you realize how big the world is. Like, you know, like all the experience, I, all the issues I had to go through in high school and middle school, it's like no one even like acts like that. You know, it's just everybody be chilling. Everybody wants to root for you. Everybody wants you to win. Everyone wants you to get into the mix. No one like sits down and hates on nobody at HBCU. Like, yeah, no one has HBCU beefs. <laughs> like, maybe you might have a disagreement, but it's never a beef. But that's just about it. It's just like, you know, but I to kind of see us all as just kind of brothers and sisters, you know, just kind of uh, sewn into this uh, quote of it, like uh, an experience that I feel like no other could ever like really experience unless they actually went there. You know, it's just it's just there's just so much to it. That's why I can't wait to go to Howard for grad school and I uh, can't wait to get my doctorate. I don't know if I want to go to Howard for my doctorate or I go back to NCCU for my doctorate, but I know it will be because of an H a HBCU. You know, I love being the product of an HBCU, you know. I wouldn't I I, I concur. I concur. <laughs> I totally agree. I feel the same way. Um, if my son wants to go to an HBCU, I encourage it. I encourage it. Um, yeah, yeah, most certainly. Yeah, I feel like he would get a lot of support out there for sure. Like wherever HBCU he wants to choose to go to and everything, I feel like they would have a lot of support for him and everything. And you know, he's the only child and everything, so it's just like you know, it's just for me. I had my brother, so it's just like and my cousins are like, growing up, you know. So it's just like you know, I always had to look out for somebody and so on. So it's like I didn't realize how much support I needed until like I needed it. <laughs> you know, I just I just kind of prioritized the needs of others. So it's just like that's just kind of how me. But I feel like you need to kind of go through that phase in order to become like a a much better leader like you know you gotta not like be supported and support others so it's just like you know i guess it's just two dimension on that end but anyway in regards to your experience at winston-salem and everything could you describe like uh like meeting uh demario wankwait my uncle demario and it's just <laughs> go let the audience know uh, my uncle demario and just basically just that from there like how do you uh, that relationship evolve over time and like, how do you know it's like okay this is gonna be my husband uh, moving on yeah Keep on, this is an hbcu love story so like everybody listen up you're so funny. Um, I met your uncle uh, spring semester of 20 to 2004, 2004. Yes. Mm -hmm. Spring semester of 2004. I was again doing my dance stuff in the show. I was the president of the organization running around getting signatures so we could have a show from all the higher ups in the school. And I kept running into your uncle. <laughs> kept running into him because he was the president of his organization so we always had to go and get signatures from the same places in order to have meetings for our groups and it just so happens we would always like bump into each other not intentionally it would just be like I'm going to go get this contract signed and then all of a sudden it's him again so <laughs> we exchanged numbers I had a boyfriend so I was not interested <laughs> Mm. Let me be clear. I wasn't interested. However, we were friends. And then we lost touch um, for a while because we went and did our own endeavors. Um, and then we reconnected after we graduated in 06. Mm. Um, so it wasn't too far after it, actually. Um, and we just reconnected back in the day. That was MySpace. We reconnected through MySpace. Um, he was like, hey, you remember me? And I was like, hey, yes, I do. And 
we've been on and popping ever since. I'm I'm very clear that we met then so we can we met then so we could meet at later points in time and be prepared to be in the space of knowing each other and truly taking things to where we are today. <laughs> Okay, no, see, that's wonderful and everything, because some people, like, especially this generation, I don't know, so we didn't have as much R&B and, like, stuff as, like, y'all grew up, and our R&B is kind of different from, like, y'all R&B, and then in the 90s and early 2000s, so, like, things about aspects of love, you know, black love and things of that nature, it seems to be something that I feel like a lot of us in this generation seem to, like, kind of struggle with. Um, so just know that it's just like, you know, that you met your like husband in an HBCU and then reconnected later in life. And then it's just like just kind of went on from there and everything. You know, it's just so few people uh, can actually say that they actually um, well, I'm not trying to say so few people, but it's, it's becoming a margin that's becoming to become more and more shallow of people uh, pretty much uh, not even just uh, marrying like to people that look like them. Um, but also uh, they're connecting with people that they've met uh, in college and uh, stuff of that nature. Um, what about Uncle Mario? Had you like just kind of linked him? Like, oh, what about him that just like says, okay, yeah, I need to stick with this person for like a while? Um, hmm. Well, he was hella like real. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you know how your uncle is. He, yeah. he, he doesn't sugarcoat the things, he tells it like he sees it. Um, and you don't have to, um, question what it is. It is what it is, <laughs> but he's hella funny. He's got jokes for days and yep, that's our family. We're just joking people. I don't know silly. Why. He's goofy. And I love that about him. He's very goofy, but the greatest thing about your uncle that really is the reason why I'm with him today is the way that he loved y'all. All of his nieces and nephews. Um, I he he when I when we were dating, he would go back and forth to go see some of you guys mm-hmm. along the way. And I was just like, you drive to go. Well, you know, in my mind, I'm from New York. So driving back and forth all over the place was not a concept that I was familiar with. But being someone who lived in Winston, who would drive down to Lexington or Salisbury or even Charlotte to see family members the way that like your uncle, your uncle Bo, um, he would go to his games when he was in college and when he was in high school, he would drive down to Charlotte to the games. He was always present as much as possible for you guys. And that really was something that stuck with me because when people say they're family oriented, it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing, another thing to be in action with it. And the way that your, your uncle is, He's very much in action with that. So, yeah, man, I heard stories about like, Uncle Amari used to literally buy uh, uh, Charles and like Juan's uh, like shoes and everything, uh, and everything. And get like certain articles of clothes with a lot of his like uh, financial aid money and stuff. And it's just like you know, it just kind of like I feel like that kind of sets the standard for me, the kind of provider I want to be for like for my family, like moving on. But just like with my cousins and everything, because like now it's like it's like about 13, 14 of us now. I don't. It's a lot. It's hard to keep up with the number. How, how, what number are we on, Camille? It's like uh, I don't know. There's a lot of y'all. I mean, your uncle Bo, <laughs> Uncle Vaughn has five in his own set by okay, himself. Aunt Love, that's so. six. I don't know. Aunt Love, that's seven, and then Charles, seven. that's nine. Um, okay, Plus, and then it's you. It's like that's that's ten. Okay, mm-hmm. and then me and Taurus, that's twelve. Twelve. Okay, okay, and then I know there's some more. I don't want to leave people out. 
<laughs> but yes, there's a lot of you guys. The grands, the grandchildren is very deep. There's a lot of you guys. But I say all that to say, like, at the end of the day, like, the way he would try to be present. I know sometimes you can't be present for everyone. And and us being the way where we live now, we can't as, be as present as we used to be. But it's it's the try. It's the, I'm going to try to do it. That really was something that resonated with me. So I was like, oh, he's really, he, he really is a good dude. Like, yeah, he really does do this. It's not like mm-hmm. I have family. Like, I am really connected to my family. Yeah, no, seriously, being family oriented as a black man is like, you know, I feel like that's like one of the big, like, you know, I feel that's a pillar of masculinity that a, pe- a lot of people don't really seem to like, you know, really like value as much as they used to. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, oh, yeah, I got the X amount of baby mamas or like I got this amount of kids and everything. But really, how much do you prioritize them? Like, ensure, like, you know, everybody's needs is met. You know, like everyone's pre- making sure that you're present for everybody and that stuff of that nature. All that is uh, very, very much uh, uh, vital uh, as a man, you know, to really uh, prioritize and uh, so on and so forth. Um, So just to know that, yeah, I could, I definitely uh, get you on that one. Uncle Amari is very, very like, like family orientated, like crazy family orientated and stuff it's just like you know it's just it's just one of those things it's just, i feel like that just kind of like influences on me also uh just how to just uh react to my family growing up like i i wish to i aspire to be that present for like all my cousins and everything when i have to, when i reach that position where i'm able to to do so and, and stuff and it's just like that's just that's just how i see him i just think he's just like he's a very very um very well kept uh, type of um a black man and i've just said very wise, very astute, and just he just carries himself in such an honorable way that I feel like a lot of people in our family just don't seem to. I don't say I'm not trying to. Oh, the y'all ain't honorable. So yeah, I just feel like you just just the way he he carries himself. It's just she's a cool, a cool guy, and everything. But anyway, um, like to take it to the next point. Above. Um, <laughs> got like a couple minutes left. So it's just like yeah, no, I was like, oh. We well, about I have to veganism. talk about the next thing. I can almost certainly talk about the next thing. Uh, I mean, would you want to hop on again so we can be able to talk about veganism and whatnot? Because do you have enough yeah. time? I could right. I could talk about the veganism. All right, I could cool. Definitely talk about that. All right, now we got part three. I didn't think I was going to go to part three. <laughs> just for a <laughs> little bit. Maybe like come a back and do it another time. What would you like me to do? I mean, it's just like no, just five or ten minutes. I, mean, I just don't want to cut you off early. Is what I'm saying. So just just pretty much just we're just gonna take it out. Um, and to transition to like just veganism and just like just that lifestyle and everything and talk about it. you pretty much still do the whole Cameron's treat thing, right? Nope, I sure don't. <laughs> okay, that's fine. We're gonna, we don't have to speak too much about that, but just like just recipes with that and stuff of that nature. So it's just like just not too long, just a good 10 minutes, not much. Okay, let's right. um, I'll hop off and hop back on. Yeah, most definitely. All right, thank you, Aunt Camille. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> All right. All right, part three. <laughs> now, uh, I would like to focus more on uh, veganism. As you know, uh, my aunt Camille is a very, very, uh, do you say the term heavy veganist or just like you're just vegan centric? Um, vegan conscious. I'm not a heavy, I'm, I mean, I wear my purses. I still wear my purses. I'm conscious about the things that I put into my body more so than anything, mm-hmm. and how that affects the world. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, surely, man. Because I was like, I know, like when I first fell in love with like one of the things like vegan when you made the vegan cookies and everything, I'd be like, Oh, how come you to Mario coming over? I hope she brings the cookie dough like <laughs> so we can make our own. Cause those vegan cookies used to smack. What do you used to make those vegan cookies out of again? It was straight up and down plants. Like um the flour was a more of a whole wheat, um, unbleached flour mm-hmm. and the cookies were vegan cookies. So um, they are uh, vegan chocolate chips were made out of no milk. Um, it's pure cacao um, and the sweetest of the sweets uh, using cane sugar, healthier alternative to the regular um, bleached sugar that is on, you know, in the stores. So it was a lot of different products that are more so healthy healthier options and alternatives that were added into like vegan butter as more so made out of coconut, um, coconut oil. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think what else was in there. Oh, just baking soda, baking powder. Really not too much. Yeah. <laughs> flax seeds was my big thing. I oh. snuck them flax seeds as a binder, but also flax seeds have those omega, omega threes which is very good for you. So snuck those into the cookies. You would never know. <laughs> no, seriously. I had no clue. That, yeah, there were our poppy seeds uh, basically vegan. They're vegan, right? Yeah, poppy seeds. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like you can make like a poppy seed vegan muffins. That, that could be possible. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Nice. You can take everything, almost everything that is um, done traditionally plant as a meat-based item and make it into a plant-based item you can do that yeah yeah i noticed that and it's just like you know but i know there's certain minor differences and consistencies that you notice but it's still like it's like not even like a problem like i know like i like i told you like i had like a vegan macaroni and cheese and a vegan burger at this restaurant and everything mm-hmm. on my break because i was on a fast and you know it's just like i didn't know if it was processed or not so i don't know if i was 100 percent through that fast or whatever whatever it was still pretty good anyway right. and it's just like you know i know it's like wow so this is made out of cashews and stuff like that so i'm mm-hmm. eating it and i'm like wow and it's like man if we really just kind of cut down and went like you know maybe like at least 50 percent vegan you know just make it more of an option you know what i'm saying make it a little bit cheaper i don't know how we can make it cheaper but it's like you know then we wouldn't have to worry about like all the the consumerism that comes with fast food joints like a mm-hmm. like Tyson and uh, McDonald's and everything feels and feels and feels of, of cows and stuff you know don't see sunlight you know what I'm saying like it's yeah. just like it's like I, I just feel like it's good when there's an option that's what I mean and it's just like you know it's good that now like I'm at the age now where I'm more conscious you know to really mm-hmm. when regards to like what I put in my body also but I can go out for like maybe a burger every once in a while but I'm not so like like obsessed over you know what I'm saying? yeah i think for me out around your age or close to your age is when we became vegan like we did that almost nearly now coming up on the 14th year come next year we'll be 14 years of being vegans um and we only did it because of our our you know your cousin our son um we were thinking about like what were we going to feed him in terms of when it was time for him to start to eat like solid food. And, you know, they, they usually, every baby starts technically as a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Most babies, the first meal they're eating is usually fruits and vegetables. If you look at the first thing that is introduced 
to any baby's diet. Um, when a doctor says, yes, your child is ready to eat solids, the first thing they tell you to introduce is a fruit or a vegetable. Yeah, some so, kind of applesauce. Or, or some, some type of some type of plant and it's usually a plant-based item it's never like you, you then eventually get introduced to meat but babies are solely introduced to that first and foremost when they start eating solid food so we essentially are just doing things we've already been doing it's just we kind of look at it in a different context like people really go oh my gosh i can't go vegan and i'm like but it's not it's not really too far off from what you're doing currently if you're eating, a, and you don't have to go 100% vegan, you can go a plant, do a a, a 50-50, like a plant-based diet and, and a, um meat or pescatarian, whatever you choose. Or just take baby uh, steps, like, you know, just try to see, try yeah. it out, see what you like and everything. Like, I know, like, when it came to, like, trying to take different milk, I know my thing is, like, uh, almond milk is, like, what I like to go with. Um, coconut milk used to be where good, but it just depends on the consistency. Like, I feel like the less mm-hmm. frothier it is, the more like I like it, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's just like, you know, just stuff like that. Like, there's options out there, and it's just like some people like oh, like uh, oat milk and everything. Mm-hmm. I don't really like oat milk and everything, but I, I, I just like, yeah, they got soy milk, they got options, you know, and then it's just like you can live. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not like it's impossible. You can <laughs> live, it's not impossible, and you know, there are even options to eat as a vegan or just plant-based on a budget. I think sometimes we look at veganism as a luxury. So a lot of people don't feel like they can be vegan because they feel like they can't afford to be vegan. Usually that's because you're thinking about the extra amounts of things. Like I need to do this vegan cheese here and Mm -hmm. I need to do this vegan burger here. Like those are where the item costs go up. Like if you have to buy the cheese, the, the, the egg substitute, the the meat substitute. If you're buying all these extra substitutes, it it does add up. Some of those things could be like eight dollars for like eight ninety nine for like two to three patties. It's not even enough for a week. It's like maybe two meals at the most or a meal for the day. So like I usually try to pay attention to learning how when we first transition, learning how to create meals out of just the plants um plants you know the veggies and the beans because when we started to become vegan even though it was it was way better than like people who were in the, like the 70s trying to struggle to find replacements now we have options but it still is a, a reminder of where we were 14 years ago where there weren't that many burger um substitutes in restaurants they didn't really have cheese substitutes in restaurants. So we had to like really be inventive when we were going out to eat or just when we were at home, we had to find recipes that really worked for us. So really looking at like mushrooms as an option, as a meat substitute option, as opposed to trying to buy like uh, uh, beyond, beyond meat or impossible burgers or things like that. Or even like you said, the cashews as a, a, a cheese substitute, like making that into a cheese substitute, there are ways to be able to do it and not have to break the, you know, break your budget or break the bank. Um, Aldi's, Walmart, there are places that you can get your items for an affordable price nowadays. So it's a, it's a little bit different unless you live in a, a specific area that is very much a food desert. Um, there's options. There are still options. Walmart, all these, 
there's even more stores that you can like really look to to get your your greens or your kale at an affordable price. Yeah, no, seriously. And it's just like even finding like the best restaurants and everything to kind of roll with. I know like the main place Uncle Amara used to come to was um the bean that was on Independence. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just like, yeah, it's kinda I, I kinda like it. It's all right. But uh, I wanna try out Romeo's place. I don't know if it's just if it's oh, a place yeah. or if it's just like a like a what you call it, um a food truck now i'm not too sure but it's definitely on the bucket list of things to try because i made a list of things place i want to eat after uh i got off my fast but it's like it's crazy because now i gotta go on another fast uh pretty soon <laughs> i'm thinking about maybe fasting maybe once a month actually now i think it's that's actually a really good thing i usually do a quarterly fast more yeah. so um I fast into the different seasons but um when it's winter time i try not to fast because of the climate, of course, living in, in the Northeast, um, it's more of a colder climate over here. So try, I try to, when I fast in the wintertime, if, if I do it, I try not to do a lot of cold beverages. I try to do a lot of soups. So um, like trying to do butternut squash, doing things that I can like puree and make into soups as opposed to like eating heavier material, um, heavier items. I try to do my fasting in the winter as more of a, a soupy liquidy type of fast, but still warm items, but not as, um, not, not as, um, heavy with the food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, most definitely. And it's just like, yo, know, I guess it's just like, there's even other things that you can still uh, consider eating. Like, of course, like fruits and vegetables are pretty much aligned with the vegan diet. Um, and it's just like, you know, I like, I like how plantains are still vegan, you know, frying plantains, you know, that's, that's one of the big things I like eating uh, growing mm -hmm. up. I didn't even realize it. And it's just like, you know, you go to like, um, yeah, I got an HB, I, my uh, college actually got a vegan, like, you know, uh, rack and everything. So it's like, you can be able to eat uh, food. Oh, that. wow. That's different. Yeah, like they when I was in undergrad, I our I was in undergrad. There were no vegan options. We had one girl on campus who came from Canada, mm. who was vegan, vegetarian, mm. and they had started to add a veggie burger on the menu, mm. but I she she was working it out going to school in the south and being a vegetarian. I don't even know how she worked it out, but that's different like even the fact that it's so progressive now that veganism is like a thing for more and more people that people are making accommodations to even think about it being in your on your college campus is really like a testament to how much veganism has grown yeah man it's just like you know i know if i was either going on a fast or trying to cut down and whatnot like there was always like options on the side you know because one of the main things i would go to eat is just like pizza and everything because that's like you know like it's just it's just there. Um, they got, it was good. when I first got to college, like the the pizza was just amazing, and then uh, over time it just kind of deteriorated. I mean, but it was still like whatever, just get it, and then like I think uh, turkey burgers are my thing for like a year, and then they stopped doing that for some weird reason. Um, and then it was just like, but it's like uh, what kept consistent was like there was still a whole lot of vegan options. Like you could have a little your chickpeas here, your lentils there, you know, and like you know. Mm -hmm. Just do whatever. I think they had tofu from time to time, so I would try it. Oh, cool. Like a little fried tofu and everything. Nice. 
And then it's just like I think I'll just use eat it with the chili sauce and everything. So it was it was manageable. And but most importantly, they had the plantains, and that almost made me cry when I saw that. I was like, oh wow, they got plantains! <laughs> like uh, food from a delicacy from back home, and everything. So it's just like it was just pretty cool on that end. Um, so it's like I just like how like with veganism it's like that. There's always like an option. You can go to Trader Joe's and basically like you know find whatever you can find at Trader Joe's. And uh, you y'all go to Trader Joe's when you try to absolutely. I love that store. <laughs> always something there. I love that store. They have like these plantain um, croutons that mm. I love to put on my salad. They always have other like great options as a vegan. I really appreciate the options that they have there. Yeah, I think they got something called cookie butter over there. I need to, I heard about it, so I need to try it. Oh, yeah, the cookie butter. I've heard about everyone loves that. <laughs> but they have lots of options. They even have, um, and, and the thing about this is there's a lot of items that are on the shelves that people don't know are vegan. Mm -hmm. We just bypass it because we just assume it's not. Like, Oreos. Um, Oreos, yeah, that's a common thing. But there are some crescent rolls that are vegan at Trader Joe's. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, it's all ab about knowing the ingredients, knowing what is composed of that really will help people on their journey if they wanted to just eat more of a plant-based diet, eat more of items that don't include, you know, specifically meat. Um, there, You just got to look at the labels. Like I... I remember when we first started doing this, we had to really pay attention to labels. It wasn't that um, hard. In the beginning, it was like, okay, that it made us realize how much stuff is in our food that we don't actually know the names of them. <laughs> so it was very like, oh, dang, I don't know what this is. Like, so we had to research it like, oh, this is why we should not be eating this. But um, after a while, you can really get an understanding, okay, this this word really means um, peppermint or this word means tea tree or, you know, knowing the other names for certain herbs and spices and uh, essentials that you are using really does help so that you're clear on, okay, this is a vegan item. I can still eat it. It does not have any additives that are um, from a meat-based um, perspective or meat-based item. So it's just a matter of like really sitting down and looking at the items. I, I, a friend of mine does a um, a vegan grocery store um, tour where she goes through the aisles and she shows people what products are vegan and how, what, how to look at the label so you're not confused. I think that's a really good uh, um, opportunity for people to really sit down and be like okay I never knew this I can actually get this okay I don't have to cut everything out because the first thing people go to is I'm vegan I can't have every, I can't have this 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 and it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't have the things that you were used to it's probably meaning that you're just going to have to adjust the way that it is prepared or served and how you prepare it are you preparing it in in uh, meat grease or are you preparing it in coconut oil or mm -hmm. grapeseed oil or vegetable oil you know you have to just know how you're going to adjust and veganize it so to speak <laughs> yeah and it's weird how it's always like looked down upon like culturally i know sometimes it's looked down upon but just kind of say oh wow this dork's a vegan or oh vegan all day i hate those guys 
kind of like out like you know people just want to like just shove their like uh eating habits on other people i don't ever really see it like that because i never met like a vegan that allows just like in your face about them being vegan like it's just like just an aspect of their character or like a diet like that's just it. like they just more conscious about what they put in their body and that's nothing bad like that's a good thing like you know that kind of just kind of reflects in different aspects of your life even spiritually and everything like once you're more mindful of your diet like from what you put in your body from food you'd be more mindful of what your diet you're watching on tv um yeah. social media you know things like that it's good to be like health conscious for everything you know <laughs> even like with relationships you know once you're more like self-aware of what's good and what's not good for you personally uh, you can be able to uh, be able to grow closer to people that you need to be co closer to and grow and like just outgrow the people who aren't good for you you know what i'm saying and right. just, you know it's just i don't know i just feel like i feel like i like how it's just like we just live in a time where it's just like you know we know more about this because as a kid i just i didn't know nothing about what vegan was until i got older and older you started learning little bits of pieces about it so you know i feel like for you and uncle Mario to really go that route it's like you know it's like a saving grace because you never know like you know y'all could really be like the ones to really educate our family moving forward um in regards to like really how to eat properly you know it's like we can have the african food from time to time but it's good to like just kind of like you know find a balance and probably stray away from those things a while you know what i mean yeah and it's definitely something to think about like we live in a society where the food is not like our ancestors food like the the ways that they are processed is not the same. Like, you know, our ancestors were living to hundreds of years old, but their food and their diet was a lot less um, processed. Yeah. You know, there wasn't a middleman between them and their food. They didn't have to go and get their food from a particular person who got their food shipped to them from another person. Like their food came directly from the source. So, you know, we have to think about, unfortunately, as we evolve in this world, we also have to evolve the way that we eat. So it might not be that we can eat the same amounts of food in the quantity or quality that we used to eat it with our ancestors before. Like maybe it is, you know, um, a little different now. Like uh, there are people who have lots of lactose um allergies uh they can't do milk or cheese or there are a lot of people who have allergies to soy and gluten intolerance they can't eat wheat so it's, it should it should really spur conversation in people's mind of if you eat this and all of a sudden like your belly is feeling like it's being attacked or if you're eating this and it's making you feel sluggish and it's making you feel you know, foggy in the brain, like what, what is that? Like trying to find the connections between our food and the way that we are engaging with the rest of the world really will help where we will be able to go in the future. Like when more and more people start recognizing, like you said, being more mindful of what they put into their body, it might even change the trajectory of the way that they live their lives. So I'm always like, what did you eat? My students always want to come to me after they've eaten chips, they've eaten cookies and the chocolates and um, all types of food, oodles and noodles. Well, I don't, I don't yuck the oodles and noodles because that is that was my college meal. But yeah, you know what I'm saying? College diet. That's right. That was my college diet. But they come to me after they've eaten all of this food, and they expect to be able to like, they're expected to be able to jump. 
move, turn, and be quick on their feet, but they're not, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. after eating all that food, they want to, they want to lay down. They're not at their best and their highest. So I'm always reminding them, you know, your muscles are probably getting tense because you haven't had any potassium. When's the last time you ate a banana? Instead of eating the chips, why don't you eat a banana on your, your break? Like those are things that you can trade off to really help the body and even to help the mind. Like if you're foggy and you can't remember the, the stuff that you've been studying, what are you eating at the time that you're studying? That determines whether or not your brain is activated and it's really like paying attention to what you needed to pay attention to. Like eating an apple. Instead, if I'm studying, let me try to eat these cherries or eat these strawberries. Like, you know, it different options. I'm really like, I want people to really think about that. Doesn't mean you have to go solely vegan, but being mindful of what you put in your body will be a big service to your longevity on this earth. Yeah, yeah. Most, most definitely. Have you ever used like sea moss or anything? I ever ingested a sea moss anytime? Oh, yeah. Uh, sea moss is the, the shit. I love sea moss. I use sea moss in my smoothies. I also use sea moss in my meals. I cook with it. I add it to like some pastas sometimes, um, some stir fries, even a soup. Um, sea moss is that it's that mineral producing supporting um, item that is a benefit. Uh, sea moss. I we had gotten lots of sea moss during COVID. That was when people really started to discover the the beauty of sea moss, but. CMOS has been a thing that we've we've been using before COVID. Um, and I'm glad that more and more people are up on it. Mm -hmm. No, seriously. Like, it's just, I know some people that sell CMOS in the gel, CMOS in pills. I've yeah. only got CMOS like gummy bear or something right now. I don't even know. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So I definitely want to get that uh, really introduced in my system sometime next year because it's like, I really need to write down my New Year's resolution, which is like, I'm not a big believer of New Year's resolution, but I am a believer of writing things down. And everything uh -huh. because it's just like it's just a good way to keep on your head on. Even if you don't hit everything by the time it's good, I'll at least put it out there that you're focused on it. Uh, you know, so you'll be able to be reminded. I know what you need to do. And it's just like, you know, it's crazy that there's assumptions like CMOS that actually benefits all like your, you know, all your minerals and everything all at once without it being competitive within the system. Cause sometimes people take a multivitamins and sometimes some of the vitamins be competitive in the system to like, you know, in terms of like how they're ingested and stuff. So it's like, know that it's natural and everything means like it probably, like, we can be able to take it within our body without having as much issue as like maybe like a, a multi uh, vitamin gummy or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. That, there are lots. There's, I mean, CMOS is the go-to, but there's things like bladder whack and um, there's things like uh, maca, um, there's so many, there's so many things out there that a lot of people just don't know in its simplest form. They come in pills, they come in vitamins, um, uh, uh, powder substances. You can just add it to your beverage. Like if you wanted to just be able to have it without having to make so much, you can just add it to your beverage. Mm -hmm. No, really. It's just yeah. like, it's just crazy. Um, like 
do you feel like maybe we, we should probably like introduce more vegan like um not vegan mentality but just the whole vegan uh diet lifestyle to like maybe like west africa or whatever like maybe because i know like all most of the stuff they eat is like entirely natural anyway um but just it's just like just in general like it's just like do you feel like that's another thing that could probably help um other communities in western africa because i know even like i know you heard like our great-grandmother is still like alive you know our grandfather bless his heart yeah. mother is still alive walking by and I think a lot of it has to do with the diet that they've had out there What's oh yeah <laughs> and it's also the processing i uh, like i said the processing of food um i have a friend who lives in um i forgot where she lives is it switzerland i i want to say it's switzerland what about but, the netherlands or the netherlands uh, it might be, I'm trying to think, I don't remember specifically, but there are certain items that we have here that are very banned there. Like we, there, because of the ingredients, they are banned in those, in, in that country. Like it was, it was a chocolate bar that we have been eating all our life that was banned there because of some of the ingredients being considered unhealthy. And it's almost like, well, being in America, there are so many things that are not banned. We have an FDA, of course, they approve things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that these things are the healthiest. They can get approved, but they also can't, <laughs> don't have to necessarily be healthy. But it just goes to show you that, you know, outside of America, there are places where people are eating healthy and thriving because of the way that their food is created like yes your your great your great grandmother is literally walking around like nothing is wrong just chilling but it's because of the fact that she is able to eat from the source like we all know africa is one of the most uh nutrient rich places in the world it has so many resources that many people want to tap into um, so it, it goes without saying, yes, there are things already there that help, you know, cure ailments that help with longevity of life. There are already things there within the food sources that are being, you know, um, uh, grown there. So I think introducing a plant-based diet probably would be helpful, but I think because it's culturally um, based in pescatarian or even meat-based diets, I, it would probably be a little hard for it to be 100% embraced. But I do think in moderation, that is something that can be shared, you know, like maybe eating this in moderation. But yeah, culturally speaking, there are things that are already included that might not want to be taken apart. But like your your mother does a great job of, still giving us um, the opportunity to eat the, the foods that, you know, your uncle DeMario is familiar with um, in, in, in Liberian food, but having the option of it being veganized, vegetarian, vegan, yeah. you know, your mom does, I love it when she does the spinach. It's amazing. But the oh, fact you also, that she, so you love the cabbage she made for sure. Yes, I love that too. That we just had for um Thanksgiving, I love that too. Still eating off of the leftovers, <laughs> but good. you know it's good. But those are those are the things that we can teach. Those simple things we can say maybe we can teach those 
to people in, in, in West Africa, like maybe instead of doing this today, maybe you can do this, have a little bit of a balance between the two. So it's possible, but, um, it's, it, it would definitely be an education. It would definitely be like an education that has to be done in order for that to be something that is widely accepted. Yeah, no, definitely. I just, I just feel like, you know, it's just being health conscious. It's just on all the board. It's just something I feel like the black community needs, especially rolling in the 2020s now and definitely want to move into the next decade, 2030s, 2040s, 2050s. You know, like things like, uh, like, uh, for instance, like arthritis, you know, mm-hmm. heart issues, um, yeah. you know, it's just diabetes, you know, even cancer also. I feel like a lot of these are very much like avoidable, you know, like over time because it's just like you know, given like the, the environment and the times that we live in where it's just like mass consumerism, uh, preservatives and all types of food you know it's just it's not and, and giving out like a lot of us do live in like you know lower income uh, situations um where we need to uh, where we like obviously need to like eat and everything but where it's like a lot of what we get at low uh, uh, at, a, at a much cheaper price um might have like certain chemicals in it that might not be good for us long term compared to like you know more natural options what might be a little bit more expensive and, and so on and even like the fruits that they even give us like in the grocery stores may have some type of uh, growth hormone or something in it that's just like you know that's just completely non-natural it just kind of makes you think like you know how life was like you know back then was like we didn't have any of these options like any of these like weird options where things just grew out the dirt and we just ate whatever you know and it's just like we had to worry about long-term uh you know like cancer all types of weird diseases and everything jumping out of nowhere and so you know it just makes you think what are your thoughts on stuff like that mm, i i um, so, uh, so what I know is I've had people that I know personally have had, um, cancer mm-hmm. and have, uh, done a cleanse or a fast, just, um, removing items, um, and adding in more plant-based items into their, into their, um, diet. And it has significantly change the outcome for for them um but it it goes to this goes without saying like we live in a society in a world where things that are unhealthy here i mean well approved here uh through the fda and sold on the shelves are acceptable here but in other countries are banned because of the toxicity and and the over um, amounts of um, ingredients and chemicals that might be in the food. So uh, it, it, if I had to look at it and just dissect it alone, the food changed when, hmm, I, I wouldn't want to even say like 1960s on down, but it's probably a little bit before then, probably like maybe the late 1950s when we start seeing more and more mass-produced um, foods that are coming out of these factories that are can live on the shelves for almost <laughs> what six years for some items. Mm-hmm, yeah, you know what I mean. So, like, if if we had to really look at the connection between our food and these 
overwhelming amounts of, and I, I and I, I have to tell you, it's like colon cancer, prostate cancer, breast cancer, um, ovarian uh, cancer. The cancer list has expanded to include so many varying um, forms of cancer. It's ridiculous. But I do very much believe that it's rooted in the food and the products and the exposure that we receive to certain chemicals, either through our our food intentionally or unintentionally. So, yeah, I really do believe that if if we really had to do a cleanse, if we all say the world decided uh, America decided to do a cleanse, let's see what actually happens i would love to see what ha- what happens if that if people do that like how does that change like the bodies and minds and spirits of 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 the people here with them eating healthier options i wonder yeah sure i feel like we'd be things would be much crazier but like from each decade i feel like maybe like you know, for instance in the 70s uh i feel like people were a little bit more fit in the 70s i, I don't think they I mean, we might have a little bit more options now in regards to like you know vegan and everything, and like might and the food might get a little bit more. Uh, how can I say, um, more intricate with the whole chemicals that they slide into every now and then. Why do you think people were more fit back then in the seventies and you know upward and stuff like that? Do you think it might have something to do with just like less video games, less whatever? You know, what's your theory on that? Before- I, feel, I, I feel that. I think for me, it's. Um... It is the increase of, of of technology that really has changed the way that people operate. More and more people are opting to be connected to some form of tech, um, whether it's TV, whether it's your cell phone. Um, and, and during that time, we didn't really see that. People had TVs, yes, but it wasn't like we had, they didn't have multiple channels to watch. They didn't have streaming services. They had no cell phones attached to their hands trying to walk out the door with everything going on. It was a lot more just, you know, pared down. It was pared down. Like right now, my students get driven to and from wherever they, they want to go. Mm-hmm. They They barely have a license, but they've Never been on the school bus because they don't have to take the school bus because mom drops them off and picks them up. So imagine just being dropped off and picked up every single day. You never walk to school. You don't have that I, I've that natural inclination to move your body because mm-hmm. you're not you're not you're not set up that way. But if I had to think about 1970s, yes, we had cars, but people were really on foot a lot of the times using their bikes a lot of the times their modes of tra- modes of transportations um were very different their um interaction with people was very different everyone was in person and in each other's face as opposed to we can talk to people through <laughs> like zoom <laughs> or you know facebook messenger you or even your text message right on your phone we're creating divides into the way that we engage into this world and with other people so of course it it is definitely the reason why there's such a decline in um per interpersonal communication um yeah it's like connections are not being made working with others is like not something that is it's done but it's done via uh 
an addition of some type of technology. So we really see, we really can see the difference between, you know, my, my, my mom's generation of, um, people really engaging and going out and being together and, you know, making it their business to be close to one another. That's another thing. Like people had blocks where they lived with each other, like where like your auntie would be two blocks away. You could walk to your aunt's house. Like the economy was set up in a way where you could literally buy a house or be in, live in an apartment near family members. So we were close knit. We were walking around the corner, down the block, taking the bus if we needed to, to be near our, our relatives, our families, our friends. But now we're like, you know, we're really spread because of the way this economy, you know, this capitalist society works. You have to work yourself to the bone almost from nine to five or nine to seven or what have you. And you're barely making time to be with family uh, to, to, um, even just take a walk. It's, it's everything so accelerated and not as personal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but that's just, that's just the nature of like life, you know, it's always going to get easier, you know, it's just like, you know, in regards to technology, making it easier. Like now we have like a phone that's basically a supercomputer in our hands. We can talk, text and like do all sorts of things that nobody thought like we could be able to do so in the early two thousands, let alone now. So it's just right. that gap of time. I just don't know how technology is going to even get crazier in another 20 years and everything. I mean, I don't know about hoverboards or nothing like, you know, flying cars. I hope not. I don't feel like this would be the right generation to introduce that to um, mass uh, scale right now. But uh, I feel like we spoke about a whole lot of things and we got like a little bit of time with this recording and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I would like to thank Aunt Camille for hopping on and everything. Seriously, this is a really, really dope episode. I feel like we spoke about a whole lot of wonderful things from HBCU, from family life uh spirituality and things of that nature and even like with the whole the diet of uh, veganism and things that are whole i feel like we we really touched on a whole lot of bases uh, do you have anything else you want to let the people know in under in under a minute before we go off um just be your best <laughs> live life to the fullest i think that's really all i got <laughs> okay, never wonder. change yourself <laughs> oh definitely not yeah that's wonderful all right that's it for the mental threads podcast we're sewing in and now we're sewing out <laughs> <laughs>